All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. You are in our next episode on the four-year consideration season. And today we are highlighting Dope Sick with editor Doug Christ, ACE. And I personally have gotten to know and work with Doug for over a decade. I think maybe we were either first met on the David Schwimmer thing, Trust, or um, no, uh, Lovely Still with right. Nicholas, right? Yeah. With yeah. Yeah. But a little bit of background for folks who I would be surprised aren't familiar with Doug Christ. Um, you have done a number of collaborations with everyone from Alejandro Inaritu and Barry Levinson and Harmony Corinne with Spring Breakers in the Beach Bum. Uh, you worked on Babylon Birdman with Alejandro and now Barry. Um, you did not only Dope Sick, but The Survivor. And you're going on to another one together. That's right. So, currently, yeah, I'm currently working on The Missing, which is we're doing again. Barry and I are doing the first two episodes of oh, like eight, eight episode show. Quite amuse, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, if I may, let's dive in there because. That is, um, how do I put that? Like that, that always feels like such a thing to have an editor start a show, find that first voice. So the last episode that we did, we talked to the, we crashed editors and same thing. Uh, the Justin Crone was responsible for the first two episodes. Um, and I didn't actually think to dig in there, but can you kind of tell me, what that feels like for you when finding that the tone and the pace and the structure of how you use those first two episodes to build what is to come because number one impeccable job I understood all of those characters out of the gate and that was a huge responsibility because you have the sat the you know you have the Sackler family you have the DEA slash FBI you have the individuals who are not only responsible for having pushed this drug, but the conduit, the doctor, Michael Keaton, who has won every freaking award. And then also finally those who are actually impacted. And before I shut up also congrats to you on the Eddie nom and you guys won like a television Academy honors for the impact dope sick has had on society. That's pretty cool. And uh, they even got nominated for a Peabody too. So, yeah, so it's, you know, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, well, you know, it, it's, it really was my first time in television at all. And, um, and uh, Danny, Danny, knock Strong, it out of the park, Doug. Yeah, <laughs> Danny Strong, the showrunner, he was nice enough to call me even before I started. So he introduced himself to me a little bit. You know, I know he was on set for every single shot and, you know, he would say it's his show and he knew what he wanted. And, um, and the way they shot it was, you know, there were eight episodes, but our two episodes were shot concurrently. They shot them both at the same time. They were cross-boarding them. So, and one of the reasons they did that was, you know, it gets Barry finished what he needs to finish. And, and then uh, they needed to get Michael Keaton done early. So once they finished with our first two episodes, they went on to the other six and they had uh, two other, two other editors, which handled those six episodes. And, and they had to get Michael Keaton done. So they were doing a lot of scrambling around to get him done with it, like in the, that next month. 
before because they had like another three more months to finish shoot the whole series i believe tv's a little quicker but they did give us a little bit more time barry and i had like a week to do our edit and then um and then i started working with danny a little bit but danny was still on set while they were shooting so he had very little time and we actually had to take a um I had to take a little bit of a hiatus in the middle there because Danny was directing the last two episodes. So, um, and then, then Danny came back and then we finished the, uh, the, the second episode. And, uh, and then I ended up coming back because the other two editors left early. So I ended up coming back to help finish with episodes six, seven, and eight. So, you know, I mean, they were pretty much done, but there was, you know, tweaks and notes still coming in from the studio and little changes that happened. It's not something that I can articulate in a great way. Maybe that's not good for a podcast, <laughs> but, you know, you work on enough stuff and you look at enough, uh, you look at the performances and it just tells you what to do so many times. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a thing where, you know, I can actually describe how to edit something. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's. I totally get it. It's like dancing about architecture. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I have so many questions on what you just shared because you said they had a composer early. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, okay. And I try not to get choked up as someone who grew up at the foothills of Appalachia, went to school in Appalachia, yeah. family, you know, um, there is no holier soundtrack to our lives than Johnny Cash or Dolly Partner, Willie Nelson, or John Denver. And so right out of the gate to have Johnny Cash play in the background, um, Wayfaring Stranger, and it just, it immediately set a tone. Probably not just for people like me who grew up in that area, but for anyone trying to get context, the lyrics, the sound, all of it. Um, So was that informing some of how you were cutting? Like you said, if they came on early on, did you have any of that to work with early or were you doing temp score? We, we mainly, uh, Lauren, our composer, who's done a lot of good stuff. He, he had done like what they, you know, refer to as um, streams or whatever, like, like just music, just, just like a sound and a feeling, some Appalachian type, different sounds, violins, different, different types of, instrumentation and just stuff that I would try to use. And when, you know, and I would, you know, a lot of it worked really well and, you know, but it was a matter of, um, you know, just trying it out. And sometimes when I couldn't find, when I didn't feel like he had something that he supplied me with at work, I would try other scores and other temp scores and stuff, but it was not like I wanted to stick with his because I knew he was going to be doing our show and I wanted to try to use his sounds and incorporate his sounds. And sometimes I would even ask for the stems of what he had done so that I could change the instrumentation, you know, take out a sound or, or raise up a sound that I want to hear more of, which is something I don't usually do on a show. And this is kind of unusual that I'm asking for stems while I'm assembling the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that I can play around with his music and try to use his music. The Wayfaring Stranger came later. I mean, we had built the opening and it was always, it was going to be that bit of a montage at the beginning where Dr. Phoenix is driving to his office and, and we're seeing the coal miners. And I think we always knew we were going to have a song there, but they did not, that song was not, you know, scripted to be there. And 
And we tried a bunch of different songs and we found that one pretty quickly. I mean, Danny, I think, came up with that song and we put it in. And like all that always happens on a show, that song's expensive. <laughs> you know, that's what it always is. The, songs are, the song you really always want is never cheap. And, uh, and they looked at other versions of that song done by other artists. And we looked at other possible songs. But when it really came, push came to shove, Danny said, I want that song. And that's, that's what it was because the Johnny Cash was what had the best feeling. And that's what you wanted, you know, we wanted to use it. So mm-hmm. I was glad that, you know, Danny said, you know, I came under budget and spots. We got money for a song. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that's, it all, it's great when that works out. A quick one about timelines, because you know, I'm wondering, was it in the script that you guys did the visual cues or was that something you guys worked out together? Because you just, you jump around on those timelines so much, but I was never lost. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it really even has necessarily to do with the visual cue, you know, going from 96 all the way through to present day. Um, How, especially the fact that, you know, you set up the first two episodes and then you're saying you did get a chance to even kind of come back and help with notes or cleanup towards the end there, how much of that was scripted? How much of it was structured together? Like, you know, the back and forth are just absolutely curious and astounding to me. Well, Danny said he wanted, you know, when he was was writing and putting it together, he wanted to mix it up in that fashion and have tell the story that way because he didn't want to be just start out with the drug getting introduced and people starting to take it and then an investigation and then another investigation, you know, and because he wanted to see, you know, cause otherwise you wouldn't have Peter, uh, Peter Skarsgård's character until the fourth or fifth episode, you know, there would be that bringing introducing those. And he wanted to bring that introduction in earlier. And that's, so that was always scripted, but we did find out, a couple things. First of all, we had we knew we had to come up with a device for showing the time changes, the year changes, and uh, you know we tried different several different samples of like you know the scrolling of the years and stuff, which we finally ended up with, which worked great. But we also found, uh, I, and I, I felt this way. I, I think I pushed for this a little bit. Was we we sometimes didn't want to jump around as much as the script jumped around. I felt like if we got to one time period in an act, we should kind of stay there if we can. And that's what we, I know we restructured it a little bit toward that because, you know, once, because I think in like the second or the first or second episode, once or twice, especially the second episode, I think we start at one point and then we jump forward and then we jump back and then we jump forward. I said, let's, let's jump forward and stay there. Let's finish this part of the story with uh, Peter Skarsgård's character and Rick and Randy, and then we'll go back to 1996 and, and for the next act. And I think that'll be less confusing for our audiences. And that's what we ultimately did. And, uh, you know, there was definitely some cool restructuring things we did. Like in the first episode, one of the things that's revealed was that we find out that Grace is... Uh, you know she's having the dinner with the family and then she goes to her girlfriends and they kiss outside the trailer and then you find out she's you know a lesbian well we that was originally how it was revealed and then she gets injured and stuff and then in act four of the first episode we show the town and the people partying and dancing and stuff and barry said early on he's i don't understand this even though this is nice for the atmosphere of the show we have this, it doesn't 
teaches anything, you know, other than maybe shows the town and stuff. And there's the cool scene where Betsy and the girlfriend kiss in the bathroom. Yeah. And we, we deleted that scene. We just took it all out. And, and then, and this is what Barry always does to me, you know, a week later, he says, you know, the stuff we cut out, can we put any of it back in? <laughs> and, you know, and I, I'm like, you know, because I said, well, we have that whole chunk. It was an act four. And I says, you know, you know what would be a good idea? Let's move this bathroom scene where she kisses Grace up front. And that'll be the introduction instead of the trailer. So instead, after she has dinner with the family, we go to her sitting at the bar and her family used to be at the bar, but they're not there anymore. And she's just there. And she goes to the bathroom and her and Gracie kiss. And then we cut to them driving up to the, the trailer and have their little moment in the trailer together. So it's more establishing the relationship, establishing the town, getting that all in act one where it belongs. So I have goosebumps. That is insane genius because that was one of the things that I most loved that you went, you had Grace, Betsy, Betsy's dad in the immediate juxtaposition of please don't use that language in front of my daughter. And then not only is the bathroom scene establishing that relationship, but you have the woman come in and saying, we know you're here for our husbands. Yeah. And so it was just, it told so much you were able to show. I mean, Okay, I'm going to stop again. Yeah, it served a purpose where it went. So that was, and it it plays a much better scene. So that's that's the kind of things you discover in the editing room that you don't, you know, that happens all the time, though. I mean, I can only take credit for what I've done on this, because, I mean, this is all, you know, Danny Strong and Beth Macy, who wrote the book. A lot of it is gauging sometimes the performances in certain things on how you want, how because, you know, as much as, you know, Richard Sackler is evil, and he is in many ways just pure evil. You have to have a. You have to gauge that you're not portraying him all the time as this horrible, horrible person because you got to follow him, mm-hmm. and you got to, you know, you've got to, you know, some ways be a little thrilled by the fact that he can figure things out and figure out how to change the, you know, the wording of something to make it sound like he's helping, and and you can look at that and sort of admire that a little bit. So you're not always playing with this snidely whiplash, you know, that he's not always you know, this horrible person. And that's, that's somehow I think you gauge things when you're editing and doing a performance thing and you're looking at something we don't. And, and, and the way that the actor played him, you know, and Barry really liked the idea of playing because he's, you know, they think he might be on the spectrum a little bit. And I know a little bit of that because my son's on the spectrum and, and they, um, so there was some weird, you know, like in episode two, especially when he sat down for breakfast with his wife, he's putting everything where he wants it. And it's, He's 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 creating his environment the way he he make him be, be comfortable, and you know and there was a lot of that, and we but you know we toned that back a little bit. You know when you're cutting, you don't want to overdo it and make it be a silly funny scene. You don't want it to be funny, you know. It's just you just want to represent, and uh, and also in his performances in different spots like that, and yeah, the, these are real people, and and. And it's fun to have real people who are like the heroes too, like Rick and Randy are real guys. And they're very much Boy Scouts in some respects. They're, they're true Boy Scouts. They, they couldn't be corrupted. They, I love the scene that's in like one of the letter episodes where the guy says to Richard Sackler, you can't, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to pay these guys off. You know, he's basically saying these guys, they're, they're impeccable. It's funny. I saw a documentary about the Sacklers and one of the, um, 
the original, not the one that's portrayed in the film. I don't know all their names, but the one who basically started the company, not Arthur. Oh, no. not. But the one that started the company, his whole thing was that we got it. No matter what you do, you can lose money. The company can lose money. You can fall and have a problem, but we should never, you know, wreck our name. And, you know, we should never make a bad name for who we are is basically what he was saying because his company did go broke for a while and he rebuilt it, you know, and it's so funny that, you know, in this, they, they've, they've totally destroyed the reputation. You know, they've, they've, because it was all about the money. So, you know, it, it began in the courtroom and there, it's been really interesting to watch, like, you know, the dropout and inventing Anna and all these things that are, have kind of happened in real time with this for the script, was that finite and final so far as like you actually were able to, um, there was no guesswork essentially is what I'm saying with the actual trial then, um, results had kind of been delivered, et cetera. Was there any feeling that that would need to shift or could shift or anything of that nature? Or was that kind of, we know how this story is ending. Yeah. Um, no, nothing in the courtroom stuff was ever, I don't think ever in jeopardy of changing because that part of the story had been, like you said, it had been decided. It had been decided in what, 2004 mm-hmm. or whenever that, it, that judgment had come down. Now I know they, at the very end though, they brought in the stuff that when, when, which they had planned, I think Don Michael Keaton's watching the, it's the current day. He's watching the yeah. news and they're basically saying that, you know, the Sacklers were able to get off and not be held personally liable. Yeah. Which I think now a judge is thrown out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, um, but at that point, that's, that's how they ended the show with that latest report. But the, the our, our court case, I think, you know, it was never going to change. I, the only thing I thought was a little odd was just, I, cause I honestly hadn't read the other scripts. I only read episodes one and two. So when I'm working on stuff and even with Barry, I says, well, what happens here with this person? He's, I don't know. I didn't read the rest of the scripts either. (laughs) So when it's only when I'm working with Danny, the Danny, you know, who's written the whole thing has said, Uh I, um, you know, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So that helps inform me as we're working with the edit. I I would ask him, so what's going to, where's this going to go? So that I know it would help me. And, um, but, um, yeah, I thought I eventually thought Michael Keaton's character, who was in the courtroom at the very beginning, we were kind of come back to that, and we didn't. And that, I guess it was never planned to do that. So, because I found a thought there would be that book in, but Michael Keaton is definitely a recovering addict at the beginning of the movie, but you don't know that. Yeah, that I mean that's uh, so Lacan, our editor, who is going to see this later, he decided to binge the show over the weekend so that he would be prepared to edit this pretty quick. Um, and there was, um, I was like, I can't prepare you here, buddy, without spoiling stuff for you. Mm-hmm. And he's a parent. And so he was like, you know, I'm not too worried about Michael Keaton, but I, I don't know if I can handle what I think is about to happen to Betsy. And I was like, I, I can't prepare you for that, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, back to those first two episodes, especially then when you did hear that from Danny or how they were going to go and the choices that you needed to make and even protecting for Michael Keaton. Um, It was funny because Lacan even said he was like, man, I really hope hair and makeup gets uh, 
an, an Emmy nomination for Michael Keaton too, because it's not like you got a lot to work with up there, mm-hmm. but it was absolutely a part of his trajectory and how, you know, in the timeline where he is um, for you having to hear that that's where they were going to wind up. How much of that did you need to protect for in setting up those characters? Um, and, and also uh, if I could go back to Richard Sackler really quick, in, in talking about that, how much of their performances did you have to call through as they too were finding tone for how to play these characters? Well, I mean, um, I don't need to take very much credit. I mean, all these actors are wonderful. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, and, and the thing that, you know, Barry was trying to do in his act directing of the episodes and he's even doing that now with the missing. He's he's he has this feeling that he says, I don't want to have still cameras sitting still while people are sitting still in a room talking. You know, I don't want to make every scene be back and forth over the shoulder. And, you know, and some of those scenes become a challenge to edit, like, you know, where he'll try to just cover it in kind of a strange way where there's the ping pong scene where Richard Sacker comes in to tell the the people that um, they, I forget what the scene is essentially about and now, because it's been a long time I've done it, but he's coming in to tell them that he needs, they need to come up with an idea and change things. And it has to do with how they market the drug. That's, that's what he's telling them. But, you know, he talks about the Valium story and that kind of thing. And he comes in the room and the coverage, there's not any conventional coverage for that. It's just the camera follows him around the room and goes around with him and and if it catches the other people in the room, it catches them. But it's not like we don't. He, he never turned the camera around and say, "Okay, we're going to plan it on the people at the boardroom, so that we can see what they're listening to." And you got that weird ping pong game that's happening in the background, where people are in, a, I guess, a break room playing ping pong. So it's 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 kind of like you you got to just. I realized I got to throw continuity out the window on this scene. I can't. I tried. Because I my first initial instincts are try to cut it and make sure I'm sticking with the continuity, but you and I would grumble to Barry. Says I I, I can't match any of this, <laughs> and he's like, "What? Who cares?" And so it's 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 basically, um, but with the performances, you 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 these these actors are impeccable. I mean, there's not really anything you need to. Uh, they know where they need to be in the story, and they know what they're doing. And uh, that just makes my job easy. So I won't take any credit for it. I mean, it is your job to protect for them and all of that. So I, you don't have to take it, but I will throw it in okay. your way. But honestly, Caitlin Deaver has been such a huge breakout star to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in this, uh, I think it's a Netflix series called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And she was unbelievable. She, that was, it was such a great series. And then I saw her on this and I just kind of lost my mind at how much talent is in this tiny young person and like incredible oh, performance. Oh, yeah. yeah, she is incredible. I mean, that scene, the scene where she's coming out to her mother and her, uh, her mother sits there and pretends she didn't hear her. That's, I, uh, you know, my mother, God rest her soul. That's my mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you told my mother, she didn't want to hear. She pretended she didn't hear it. Yeah. And not that I had to ever come out to my mom. Cause that's not yeah. something I had to do, but yeah. the, the, uh, that's, that would be that, that, that scene broke my heart. 
And, mm-hmm. and you see how Caitlin play, plays that, you know, and, and doesn't, you know, and keeps it all inside. For something like a show like this, that was obviously meant to also showcase what we're still going through today with the opioid crisis, to have this much inclusion and representation in stories that absolutely exist in, in, in Appalachia. It was just, golly gee whiz, you guys killed it. For you, how has this been kind of, I mean, I can't imagine that we're the first people to kind of like adulate you. I mean, I I would have to imagine, you know, Michael Keaton, the actors kind of sign up for that, for all of that additional adulation and hearing the kind of personal feedback. But, you know, you, you yourself were not were nominated for the Eddie award. And I'm sure you've been in, in a few of the conversations around this with maybe Barry or, or anyone else. Have you kind of had that voyeuristic, here's my experience with that show or what's been the feedback that you've heard? I I am surprised in some respects. On I not I wouldn't say a lot of adulation, but I, you know, when I told people I've worked on it, they've told me they really saw it. They loved it. They liked, they really liked the show and they saw it. So it, you know, there wasn't too many people who had to, I don't think there was anybody who said all oh, that. <laughs> no, no, they, they, it was all pretty positive. I would have to say, I, I don't get out much, Nancy. So it, <laughs> you have to, if well, you want, if you want people to talk, you know, if I wanted people to talk about me or something, I'd have to go, go somewhere. <laughs> you know, I know it's always, it's up to you guys though, too, to submit everything. So that's, literally why the drop exists so we can do some of that for you and get some of that out there but so it sounds like you did watch the whole series then yeah oh yeah well I once I knew I was after I finished my first two episodes I wasn't going to watch any of the rest even though they were cutting them but then when I found I was coming back to finish them I that weekend I watched them all Uh and then um and and then I could because I knew I was going to work on the last few for a few weeks. I worked on it for another like five more weeks. And then when the show aired, I watched the whole thing again. And we sat and watched it as a family. My wife watched it. My son watched it. My son was, you know, who's 14, really liked the show. He he doesn't watch very much television with his parents. He watches YouTube. So, yeah. and he really, I think, uh, you know, the show connected with him even. He, he, he got it. So that was kind of fun. That was, it's like one of the few things I've worked on that he's watched. <laughs> um, well, quick uh, last couple of questions. Okay. Uh, I always like to ask, you know, if there was like an Easter egg or a particularly, you know, a particular scene that really meant something to you because um, kind of the combo question there, I'm also so incredibly blown away by what you know, coverage you guys got just of the atmosphere, all the B-roll of the locations. Um, those were just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I guess kind of asking how you actually picked any of those for the establishing shots and, you know, transitions, but then any scenes that were of particular, you know, meat to you. Well, uh, yeah, you know, you're, we're lucky to live in the, the, the era of the drone camera. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, they they really lucked out on that because they had shot a bunch of drone footage one day and then they were scheduled to go back another day and it snowed and they were so happy that they had that snow because, yeah. you know, that was, you know, that was real. That was not digital snow. Digital snow never looks right. <laughs> and uh, so they, they had gotten that and they got they shot some great stuff and they had shot in that little town 
I think the exterior of that little town for literally, for our episodes, it was only three days. Uh, Now, I think they were there for another week for the other six episodes because they literally we they shot our show uh, our shows i think in um, richmond virginia and on location and stages they had stages built and then they went to that little town which i don't know the name of the little town they went to but they went to the little town they shot there for three days and then then we were wrapped and then i think they were there for another five days to shoot in that town and then they were going to go back to richmond and um and finish the other rest of the episodes there. You know, I, I would have to say that a lot of the scenes really did connect with me though. I did feel that I mentioned the scene with Betsy and her mom, you know, that felt, you know, even, you know, even though I'm a straight man, I did, I felt that scene so much because it just like was a scene that it's like, I, I, I can't imagine having to do that and having to have that reaction, which I've seen that reaction. Mm-hmm. so and right. um, and 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 michael keaton's fun uh, i mean he's just a fun guy to edit this is my second time to edit him and um Birdman. Birdman, yeah and uh you know he's a fellow pittsburgher like me so and he you know he, they even brought that into the show which i that's probably i could call that an easter egg they brought in the fact he said he grew up in a small town outside of pennsylvania in pennsylvania you know and you know and now he's living wherever our town is our town i don't i don't know if they really ever say what state they're in but uh, they shot it in virginia yeah before i forget i was going to ask you how how were the cave scenes shot or how were the mine scenes shot well um very little of it was real there's the opening montage where they're driving that vehicle down into a mine that is a uh that was a natural mine they went into for that but but where 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 they're working and doing the coal mining, that's a set, <laughs> and that's a you know, and the, the, they had a fake machine set up that was supposed to be like the working machine that where she gets hurt, and they did some digital effects to it to make it look like it's running coal and stuff. It wasn't actually doing anything; it was just a a, a set piece. So they that set looked very real, you know. I think for being in the mine, and they even shot some stuff where they were going down riding down in through the fake mine, but we didn't use any of that because they went and got that real stuff that was really good of them driving down in through the hole. And they shot that scene when they're having lunch. That's in a real mine mm-hmm. in, in, in Virginia, but yeah. uh, the, where they're down deep and working, that's, that's faked. Yeah. But, <laughs> I was like, this is, this feels very cramped. This feels, yeah. and I was like, but that's impossible. This is obviously a set, but for even the two that you shouted out, that is really impressive that they got down there. Yeah. Um, were you involved at all, like mixing stage or color at all? Not at all on this one. No. Okay. I guess you usually aren't in television. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah well, they, well, streamers are a whole different land. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes no, yeah. like, uh, the Umbrella Academy, for example, and but they release all of them at the same time. So it's kind of like get everybody in there, you know, all brains in one place at a mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, we finished all ours before anything aired. We mm-hmm. were completely done. Um, oh. I remember they told Danny early on there. I didn't know this at the time, but now I know it from what I didn't have Hulu at that time. I now I have it that they their model is we drop three episodes mm-hmm. and then we drop one a week after that. And yeah. Uh, and that's what they told us they were going to do with us. And, but nothing, 
the first three episodes, when they dropped those, they had, we had just wrapped the week before they aired. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Was back for the last three. So, you know, they, but they completed them at that point. I think I finished episode eight and then a week, you know, then I'm done and then they mixed it and then it's ready to go on the air, but it wasn't going to go on the air for another five weeks. I don't think some people who sit behind you, I realize is the editor has to, you have to think you have a technical thing in your head the whole time mm-hmm. of what button to push, what to do this, do this, do this, do this. And then you've got to be create your creative brain has to be on too. And mm-hmm. that's what, I think is I have a hard time with, I have to turn off my technical, I can keep my creative brain working pretty well when I'm by myself. But -hmm. when I got a director who's feeding me ideas, I can execute his ideas. And then I'm like, and then he'll say, what do you think of that? And I'm like, but my brain was taking in what I was supposed to do and I'm doing it. I I have to sit back and let my creative brain look at it now. Yeah. I can't do both sometimes at the same time. And that's, that's what's it's, you know, I don't think everybody always understands that. Did you start with film or were you? I I came in. Yeah. I I started in the business in the early nineties, like 92 Mm -hmm. and film was still pretty dominant. So my first five years I was in on film shows. I never edited much on film. I was always an assistant then. Mm-hmm. So um, I got to edit a little bit on the movie Elva and uh, I worked, you know, on chems and stuff, but then, and then even after that, you know how it worked. It, then we started getting avids and we still had film for the longest mm-hmm. time. Cause that's what we were screening on. So it was still fun yeah. to sync dailies on film and, and then, you know, conform the work print and all that kind of stuff for several years. But then I think it was the movie that really kicked in was uh confessions and dangerous mind, which I was assisting on. And that one, we, transferred high def mm-hmm. they no, transferred high that. def and then but we still had to cut in standard def then so many looks that i re- i loved that movie i remember yeah. that was so many different looks and um so i mean i started in 1994 and uh that at that time the director that i was working with it was all digital and then i moved out here in 2004 uh with runway and we were doing a lot of like uh, Amblin and DreamWorks stuff. And so there was a lot of Michael Kahn over there and there was still, it was like the upright chem and the avid and just going back and forth between. And then I started, you know, working on the eddies with Ed and it was just like, no, like every, everything, because even in 94, it was like editing tape to tape. And then I looked and worked with film and then it was finally digital somewhere around like 2005 or 2006 is when I first sat down at a, at an avid, mm-hmm. but, uh, that that's probably, I, I admire that brain and both of the editors that have worked on the drop, uh, Mike Streeter and the con de Leon, I admire the both of them for how quickly they're able to jump back and forth between my obsessive notes and them having to tackle it technically. Um, Cause it's just, there's so many buttons and bells and whistles that I, I can't navigate. So God bless you, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this All has right. been a really incredible chat, Doug. I can't thank you enough for making the time. And uh, I can't wait to have you back. Thank you for okay. doing this. Well, cut it down to 15 minutes and it might be interesting. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Okay. We will see you next time on the drop. Thanks everybody. All right.